Thank you very much. And let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Book of Philippians, chapter 2. As you remember, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And uh, they say, they tell us that he, the whole time, he was chained to a Roman... Uh, a Roman military person, and they all they did was all they did was change shifts. Uh, one one person uh, fulfilled their shift; another person came on, and uh, and uh, I'm sure that from what we know about the life of Paul, he probably thought, "Well, I'll tell you what, this is really good." Uh, they probably learned a whole lot about the Old Testament from him. And uh, remember, he said, uh, he talked about the whole Roman guard. Uh, he uh, spread the word through these people, and this is the way he spread it. I guess we could say that he was a good jail minister. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy... Fulfill my joy. Uh, I mentioned to you last week the reason why m many people like the book of Philippians so much because it's so much about joy. It's about uh, tough times, but it's about having peace in your heart and joy in your life in the midst of the toughest times of your life. And the world can't explain that, but uh, Paul does a pretty good job explaining it here in the Bible. Uh, 18 or 19 times in the book of Philippians, he mentions joy, uh, rejoicing in different ways. Uh, he says, listen, this would just fulfill my joy, just fill me up to the brim by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Paul's saying, listen, uh, I just want all of you to get on the same page, and if I get word that you're on the same page, I'm going to be one of the happiest guys around. Verse number three is a great verse, and, and um, a couple of years ago I, uh, I, I learned to memorize this verse, and I use it in prayer uh, almost every day. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, you know, there's so many things that you have to do just to keep your life going in the right direction. Uh, not only look at the things that you have to do, but also for the interest of other people. And I guess we had a good exhibit A of, of that today uh, with Mark and, and Josh. You know, they, they got lots to do. They have a, a tough job keeping everything organized in their life, but they just took this time out to go lift the burden for someone else. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, that's a slave, and being in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, 
to the glory of God the Father. Uh, what's this talking about? It's talking about keeping the church on course. You know, I, th I think whenever you read, if you do much reading at all on this particular church, you'll know it's a good church. Uh, actually, it's a very exemplary church. But no matter, but, but we're never satisfied uh, with where we are, spiritually speaking. We're all striving for more. We're all striving to be better. And so that's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to, to, to tweak the Philippian church to make it a little bit more better than it is already. And uh, he's doing that. He first of all begins with a basis of unity. Unity is a good thing. I told our Saturday night congregation last night, you know, in the church, you, when you have unity, you know it, and when you don't, you know it. Uh, you can almost feel it in the air when you don't. But uh, the basis for this unity that Paul is talking about right here uh, are some wonderful realities that he lists in verse number one. Uh, look at these things. Um, they saw in his life some of these things, and he was looking for them in their life, and he said, these are things uh, that are common. I was always taken back with the word if here, as though it were uh, a, a cause and effect, but it come to find out it's really not. Verse number one, we find if, 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 four times. Uh, usually when you see the word if, it does denote cause and effect, if the rain comes, the grass will grow. But here it's not. It's what we call first-class condition. And it can be re read this way, since, since. Uh, the word if assumes that the premise is true. A similar first-class condition is given in Matthew chapter 4. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, he said, if you're the son of God... Well, the devil knew he was the son of God. He, that's a first-class condition, too. He says, listen, since you are the son of God. Uh, if uh, somebody comes to the pastor of the church and says, listen, if you're the pastor of this church, you better do something about this. Uh, what that person means is you are the pastor of the church and you better do something about this right now. That's happened quite a few times. And so, and so this, these are statements of fact right here. Since we have consolation in Christ. The word consolation is the Greek word periklesis, which means encouragement, exhortation. I'll tell you, the Lord does know how to encourage us. And he says to these, to these Philippian people, listen, we've all been encouraged by God. Actually, the word consolation uh, is given in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and it's a title for the Messiah. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, you remember this, whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Consolation is one of the titles of the Messiah. Uh, he is a great encourager, a great exhorter. And so he says, since, since we have these wonderful realities in common, and you know, so many times we need to remember what we have in Christ, you know, because it's so sometimes easy to forget. You know, when you get a little uh, something weird on your mind, it takes your mind off all the good things, you know, that, that, that we have in common. The next thing he says that we have in common is uh, the comfort of love. Uh, and here this particular word carries with it the idea of strengthening, making strong. Uh, this is more than comfort. 
You know, in life we have to comfort a lot of people. You know, when your little kids go out and get hurt, you man, you just you comfort them, don't you? And they feel good. Uh, they have one of these crying spells. Some of our grandkids are good at this. You know, they get crying out of control, you know, and it's just like you feel so, you just wish you could stop them from crying. And, you, and, uh, and so you comfort them and you comfort them and you comfort them and eventually they get comforted. But here the Bible says that in Christ we have comfort of love and this is something different. Uh, from the very one who is himself love. You know, our comfort in this world only goes so far. But with God, there is no uh, parameters on his comfort. Uh, there is no circumstances beyond his ability to comfort people. Just this Wednesday night in our prayer service, one of our young ladies uh, went through a terrible, terrible thing in her life. And uh, I, I can't mention it. It's too personal. And uh, she's been fighting this thing for a long, long time. And she said, the Lord has just done an incredible work in my life. And it's uh, other people tried to comfort her, uh, actually for a couple years now. But she said, God just wrapped his arms around me. I'm okay now. Uh, because there's no circumstance beyond his comfort. And so Paul is saying, this is the basis of our unity. Let's think about what we have in common. And then he goes on and he says, there's fellowship of the Spirit. Remember, we're partners in this thing. And we always have to remember that. Uh, you know, the, the work of the Lord is just not one person standing up saying something. The work of the Lord is all of us praying together, doing together, loving each other, and striving and trying to be as consistent as we can be. He says we're all participants in this work. We share life with the Spirit, which we didn't know before we were saved. And then he says, I want you to remember that there's a, a, affection and there's mercy, too, from Christ. And he says, because of this basis, I want you to be of one accord and one mind. And to me, what that means is this. He says, I want you to stay on course and be focused. And boy, that's tough, isn't it? And that's one of the reasons why we do the summer prayer emphasis. You know, summer is a tough time. I mean, all sorts of things. Uh, we're caged up for months here in Pennsylvania, aren't we? And then finally, somebody opens a cage. Man, we're like wild Indians. Uh, we're going out there, we're, we're, we're going from the morning to the latest time at night, and we get worn out, and we think, well, you know, there's just really no time for God now in the summertime. We have to stay focused. He said, if you stay focused, you'll fulfill my joy. Now, what is he talking about here in verse 3? He's talking about humility producing unity. Humility does produce unity. Pride produces the opposite. Uh, he says in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. You know, ambition is a good thing. Remember last week we had the young couple up here that was, they were going to Australia? And he was just so excited, this kid. He says, well, we're going to start there in Australia and then we're going to branch out. And he hasn't even moved there yet. Holy cow. He's got vision, that guy. You know that? That's a good thing. Ambition. It's good to be ambitious for the Lord, but, but Paul says here, not selfish ambition, not ambition for you, but for the Lord. And it's easy to get this messed up, you know that? Uh, he says, listen, Charles Spurgeon said one time, men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. Selfish ambition. Uh, next thing he says, I want you to do away with uh, selfish ambition or conceit. I remember when I was a 
teenager in school, that's, that word conceit was all over, uh, all over the school campus. This person is conceited. That person is conceited. It was like a word for the times. And uh, what does that mean? That means a feeling of superiority, uh, better that we're better than someone else. Uh, we an air, you know. So you can feel it sometimes when somebody comes around. It's like whoa, whoa. They're conceited. Uh, Charles de Gaulle made this famous quote years ago, which is good for us to always remember. The cemeteries of the world are filled with indispensable men. I mean, they're just loaded, you know that? So, uh, so Paul says, listen, save yourself the energy. <laughs> don't, uh, don't get too conceited. Don't get this air of I'm better than someone else. And then he says, I want you to humble yourself. This is all in verse number three. But in lowliness of mind, that, that's humility right there. Uh, and then I want you to esteem others better than yourselves. Uh, these people are seeking the approval of God rather than their own uh, aggrandizement. Uh, Mark 10:45 is, uh, as you know, one of my favorite verses. And uh, do we have it? Yeah. Let's read it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. I got this really neat quote. I just have to pass it on to you this morning. It goes like this. Now follow me. If I consider you above me and you consider me above you, then a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on. Isn't that incredible? If I consider you above me, and you consider me above you, then we have a marvelous thing that happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on. That's what I think Paul is trying to say here in verse number three. Esteem other people better than yourself. Now, how do we know how to do this? Well, we do this by the example that Jesus set. Jesus is our example. Verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's translated attitude. Have the same attitude of Christ. Uh, being in the form of God, uh, he existed in the form of God. Uh, he, in verse number seven, look what he says. He made himself of no reputation. Uh, what this literally means is that he emptied himself. And so here is Jesus who is God, and he begins to empty himself, not of his divinity, of course, because God could never be less than God, uh, but of the prerogatives of, of his person, of his glory. And remember in John chapter 17, when he was praying to the Father, he was, he was looking forward to recapturing this glory that he had surrendered when he came to earth. And uh, let's read this. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Um, he did not cling to his prerogatives. Uh, he was equal with God the Father. He laid aside not his uh, deity, uh, but his prerogatives. And the Bible says here in verse number eight that he humbled himself. Now, this is why he's our example. The Lord came down to really be a minister to people. 
And, uh, and I guess he's saying to us that, uh, that in order for you and me to be a minister to people, we have to humble ourselves. Because the ministry is, is tough work. And if we, enter in it to, if we enter in the ministry with the same attitude that we enter into other things, it just won't work. It, it doesn't work. And uh, in ver he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now, I know that's hard to do in our world. We've always been raised in America, right, uh, to uh, be self-assertive, uh, tramp on somebody to get ahead, you know, and all these things. And we have all this to uh, try to be reprogrammed from. But Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Uh, this is the bottom rung of the ladder from the throne of God. That's the cross. The worst of criminals died on the cross. How appropriate. He would take the punishment of a world full of the worst of criminals, and he would die just like one of them. Uh, someone who was crucified was considered cursed of God. You know, oftentimes when we're, when we're witnessing to the Jewish people, and I love to do that, and uh, one of our persons who works with hospice, was telling me that she was uh, working with a, with a Jewish man that was dying, and she said to him, hey, listen, tell me about the Jewish faith. And boy, they just stuck up. Uh, they, they, the man almost came back to life. And, uh, and he was just having a great time, and they were having a good time interacting uh, and, uh, with this whole idea of, uh, of Judaism. But one of the reasons why it's so hard uh, for for Jewish people to understand what we're talking about is because uh, Jesus died upon a cross. And their Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, says that a person who dies upon a cross is cursed by God. And so that ought to settle it, right? But they don't understand that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, be becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He wasn't cursed of God necessarily in that respect, but he was taking our curse upon him. And so uh, the work of salvation is complete. Uh, the invitation is extended to receive Jesus uh, by faith as our personal substitute for our sins. And one of these days, and you know, this, this goes... This whole passage of scripture goes downhill and then it goes uphill like this. It goes down and up. And it, it talks about Jesus coming down out of heaven, just going down the ladder all the way down to the very bottom. There isn't, I guess there's nothing below the ignominious death of crucifixion. That's as low as you can get. And after that took place, uh, the Bible says, verse 9, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. And that refers to his ascension and uh, to his glorification. He has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. I remember one time I was talking to a friend. He was a professor at Liberty University in Lynchburg. And uh, he went over to Israel to study uh, a number of times in one of their universities over there. And he told me the only time that he ever saw the name of Jesus in Jerusalem, it was written on a garbage can. Now, I know that there, when you go to Jerusalem, they're all selling Jesus' materials there. But other than that, just in every everyday communication, the only time he ever saw Jesus' name 
was written on a garbage can. And, but one of these days, uh, there is going to be an exaltation of Jesus in a unique way. And that's what this is talking about right here. He's given him a name which is above every name. And you know this well, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should what? Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should what? Confess that Jesus Christ is who? Lord. Okay. Uh, in heaven. All the beings, there's going to be a confession time in our world, and this is what this is talking about. One of these days, the world is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. All of heaven, all of earth. Now, we just went through this uh, little event with the, the old radio minister that told us last week Jesus was coming back, Harold Camping, excuse me. And... Uh, our good member Wally came up to church last week and he was, he was acting like he was afraid. And he told Jim Watts, he said, I've driven by all these churches and they're all empty, Jim. <laughs> Only Wally could dream that up, you know. And we're having the time of our life up here on the hill. Uh, anyway, uh, Harold Camping was wrong. Uh, the Lord didn't come back. And, uh, but he is coming back. The, the Bible is specific about that. Second Thessalonians chapter one. This is this is something really good here, verse seven through nine. Let's let's look at it. Let's read it. And to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the next page. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. One of these days the Lord's coming back. The Bible says here if someone does not obey the gospel, that they are going to be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Not only is that going to happen on earth, there's going to be that separation, uh, but, uh, but they're going to be gathered together in a tremendous confession time one of these days, and they are going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven, on earth, and below the earth. Who are they? They are the demons, those who are lost in hell. You know, I think it's going to be pretty easy for those people who are in hell at that time to make this confession because they are going to know then uh, that their lifestyle wasn't the lifestyle they should have lived. And they're going to know then that Jesus Christ is Lord. Their fate is sealed. Uh, I know throughout my ministry, I've had many people say to me, you know, I don't care. I'm, I don't care if I go to hell or not because all my friends are going to be there. I want to be there with my friends. Well, my answer to them always is, listen, there's no friendship there. Friendship is over. Uh, all my friends. Uh, and one of these days, there's going to be this tremendous time of confession. And so... And so this is why we should be impelled today, compelled, 
uh, by the love of Christ to go out and tell people, listen, one of these days you're going to confess the Lord. Today you confess him to salvation. In that day, uh, you confess him to despair. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Same confession. And so uh, I want to encourage you today, if you've never made that confession, uh, to do that in life. Because after death, it's too late. It's too late to say, listen, I want to become a believer in Christ now. It's over. Uh, we, have, we have this moment. I like what Isaiah 55, 6 says. Uh, Seek the Lord. Let's read it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Uh, we only have this day. We only have this moment. Uh, we don't have... We have no promise of tomorrow. We don't have a promise of the next hour, the next two hours, the next three hours. And so I want to urge you. The Bible says if we confess him uh, from our heart, we will be saved. For with a heart man believes unto righteousness. And with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confess him today and be saved. Today is the day of salvation. It's a wonderful thing that God has given us today for salvation, right? Amen. It's a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you, don't, uh, be bold. Uh, be so bold that you are willing to pay a price. Uh, pay a price for the opportunity to share with someone the difference between what it means to be saved and not saved. Uh, because their eternal life is in the balance and God can use you to touch their heart. And I know that all of us are fearful sometimes when we think, well, what will people think of me? You know, in eternity, it won't matter. You know that? Amen. It won't matter. And boy, we will be glad that we did what God wanted us to do and tell these people, listen, one of these days you're going to confess the Lord. And I think this is a good witnessing tool right here. Now, either you do it now to salvation or later to uh, to condemnation and destruction. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder, I wonder if there are any people in our church today that have not confessed Jesus as your Savior, your only Savior. Well, this would be a terrific day to do it. Actually, it's the only day you really have right now. Uh, it may be too late and and for sure, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, uh, you will be among that uh, big confession day one day. But not to salvation, to condemnation, to despair. And so I want this to pry on your mind, and uh, I want you to think about it with, uh, with your spiritual eyes as open as they can be. And uh, run to Christ because he has done everything that I just explained to you this morning for you. Uh, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your, for your love, and we pray now that as we, uh, as we uh, come to the conclusion of the service today that you will minister to us in a in a great way.
Maybe there are some in our church this morning that just need to, uh, to come and kneel, and, and maybe they'd like to make that confession to you right here at the altar of the church this morning. They'd like to bow in your presence and say, Lord, I, I believe that you're Lord, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I confess you today as my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.